Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Welcome to the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy podcast. I'm Declan, the son. And I'm Jane, the mom. This is the podcast where we talk about brutal crimes, bizarre occurrences, and get you drunk with cocktails themed around one of our stories. To lighten things up, we'd like to end our time with a chaser. Please keep in mind some of our stories might be upsetting to young or sensitive ears. We love hearing from our listeners, so feel free to contact us by email or social media. You can find our contact info in the show notes for this episode. If you'd like to support us through Patreon, you can find us there at Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy Podcast, or use the link in our show notes. Hey everyone, Dave here to tell you about my show Cryptic Cocktail Party. Looking for a good time filled with laughter, intriguing tales, and a splash of the supernatural? Well, maybe I can help. Every week I bring on a rotating cast of guests to have a few drinks, share a few laughs, and take a dive into the unknown. Join us as we raise our glasses and tell the tales of some of the world's most famous cryptids, from the legendary Grafton monster to the elusive Dover demon and the enigmatic Mothman. But that's not all. Our party spills over into the world of the extraterrestrial, encounter the spine-chilling Flatwoods monster, the mischievous Hopkinsville goblin, and uncover the truth about infamous alien encounters. You need a dash of mystery? We got you covered. Delve into mind-blowing conspiracy theories such as the infamous Philadelphia Experiment and the secrets hidden within the Denver airport. Cryptic Cocktail Party is a weekly comedy podcast that guarantees laughter, curiosity, and a few surprises along the way. Cheers to the unknown. Well, Declan, what story do you have for us today? Today, I'm going to be talking about CIA animals. Some being agents, some being experiments. So Let's focus on the agent portion of the CIA animals. I don't... Well, I've got a couple of different stories, so I've got right. a collection. Okay. I know. It just makes me sad to think of animal experiments in the CIA because CIA do shitty things to people. I, I can't even imagine what they're doing to animals. None are really like that gruesome okay. or anything. It's okay, pretty good. tame. I mean, it's not okay. good either way, but right. it's not as bad as you might think. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's What are you going to be know. telling us about? I am going to be telling you about Kelly Cochran, who is a... Not nice lady who did and participated in some bad things and hurt some nice people. And the drink that I brought for this story today is called The Illicit Affair. So the name of this drink goes well with the story because... An affair happens in the story, and that's a crucial, crucial piece of why bad things happened. So, but first, the cocktail, the illicit affair. It is made with one and a half ounces of vodka, one and one third ounce of orange juice, one and one third ounce of cranberry juice, two dashes of orange bitters. You take all of those ingredients, throw them in a shaker with ice, Shake well, and then strain into an ice-filled glass. Are you ready Easy to enough. try the drink? Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. It's pretty good. I don't it's really very... taste much alcohol in there. No, it it would get you messed up quick because you don't really notice the alcohol. 
but those are my favorite uh, kind of drinks. True. Uh, there's less than a shot of vodka in here, though, so it's not too bad. That's true. You just have a lot of them because you like the orange juice flavor, but it's tasty. <laughs> I like it. So Kelly Cochran, uh, again, not a nice lady. She was born Kelly Gaboyan in June 1982. She was the oldest of three children living in Hobart, Indiana. She had a troubled childhood and had a drug problem. She even ended up in juvenile detention facility at one point. Not very many people end up there, but she did. Jason Cochran also grew up in that town. Jason and Kelly were neighbors and went to high school together. They started dating in high school and then got married after graduating in 2002. Although the relationship and marriage seemed to help Kelly with her drug problem, the marriage had its issues, as most marriages do. Kelly described Jason as controlling and at times passive-aggressive. And some people believe Jason would make demeaning comments to Kelly. However, his friends and other people saw it the other way around and said that Kelly was the more dominant figure in the relationship, pushing all the buttons and Mm. calling all the shots. So you're saying each friend was back in there. Each friend group was saying that this other person was crazy. Okay. Yes. Yes. In 2013, the couple moved to Michigan, apparently because there was legalized medical marijuana there, and Jason had chronic back pain, so they were intending to use the medical marijuana to help him with his chronic back pain that he got from doing a physical labor job for a a decade. Kelly found a job in a manufacturing plant that made parts for ships. She soon started having an affair with one of her coworkers, Christopher Reagan. Thus, the name of the cocktail, The Illicit Affair. Okay. Chris was 20 years older than Kelly and a military veteran. He was dedicated to his job and even went back to school so he could become a better boss. Chris also had an on-again, off-again girlfriend named Terry O'Donnell. Although Chris and Terry didn't stay in their relationship, they did stay friends and would keep in contact regularly. So they're dating, but then they're not, but then they're friends. And so they stayed connected. Chris liked his job at the factory, but it took a toll on his body and he found a desk job in North Carolina. He was planning to move there and start a new life. Unfortunately for Chris, though, his days were numbered due to his affair with Kelly. When Jason found out that Kelly was having an affair he reminded her of a pack that the couple made on their wedding night, you know, to have, mm. to hold, to honor, and goodness, you know, sickness, health, all that stuff. Their pact was that if they ever cheated on each other, the couple agreed that the affair would turn deadly and they would kill the person that the spouse cheated with. So the <laughs> lover... Would I'd get love killed. to hear that on the 
the stand or not stand, but the <laughs> I don't know what right. the marriage. Oh yeah, the is, vows. In front of everybody. The vows. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I vow to they... kill whoever you cheat on me with. <laughs> I don't. Could you imagine being in a wedding like that? Oh, I would fall out of my chair. <laughs> I I don't think they told, did it in front of everyone. I think that was a private pact. But maybe they did. Uh, okay. I don't know. Quick little side story. I saw this video of uh, people who were doing their vows, and they got to the part where it was like, if anyone has any objections, say it now or hold your peace or whatever. And the groom just turned to the crowd and pulled his vest up, and he had a pistol in his in his belt line and then no one said anything he's like all right that's what i thought (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious i love that oh that's great so funny your story (laughs) yes on october 14 2014 kelly invited chris to her house for dinner chris was set to leave for north carolina the next day and had plans with terry who was going to help him pack and start moving because he got that job, so he's leaving. Terry's his on-again, off-again girlfriend, but still friend. Mm-hmm. She was going to help him move. Before leaving town, he wanted to see Kelly, though. He wrote down directions to Kelly and Jason's house, leaving it in the car when he went inside. While having sex with Kelly, Jason shot Chris in the head with a twenty-two, killing him. Ooh, with a twenty-two. Yeah. God damn. Yeah. Later, the neighbors reported hearing a gunshot and soon after the sound of power tools. Kelly and Jason cut Chris's body into pieces and placed them in bags, then burned the pieces in their backyard burn barrel. They took the barrel to a nearby mining area and buried the barrel there. That's kind of smart. Yeah. Well, I guess not because they got caught, but well, they did, but but they got caught because she confessed, basically. Anyway, we'll get to that. So they buried the barrel, they disposed of the body parts in a field in the woods, and they drove his car to the outer edge of town and abandoned it in a parking lot. When Chris's on-again, off-again girlfriend, Terry, hadn't heard from Chris in several days, she reported him missing. By that time, Kelly and Jason had already disposed of Chris's remains in the woods. Police soon found Chris's vehicle and noticed the note with directions inside. They followed the directions to Kelly and Jason's house and questioned the couple, who seemed to be split in their responses regarding the disappearance. According to investigators, Kelly seemed calm during the questioning, while Jason seemed uncomfortable. I guess shooting somebody will do that to you, for some people. Kelly admitted to having an affair with Chris, claiming she had an open marriage, but Jason appeared upset by the affair. So she's saying, we have an open marriage. It's okay if I have sex with other men. Well, he's like, my wife had an affair, and this is not okay with me. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah. Law enforcement believed the Cochrans were involved in the murder and they searched the area for Chris's body but didn't find anything. About six months later, in March of 2015, a search was conducted on the Cochran home. 
The couple seemed to be disturbed by the continued focus on them, and soon after that, moved back to their hometown in Indiana. Chris's case was essentially cold at this point, and police didn't have any evidence on the couple. However, they did believe the Cochrans had something to do with Chris's disappearance. The break in the case came almost a year after the couple left Michigan. In February of 2016, Kelly killed Kelly. Ooh, hmm, foreshadowing. <laughs> Kelly called 911 asking for an ambulance for Jason, her husband. She said Jason wasn't breathing and was turning blue. She also stated he might have overdosed on drugs. When paramedics arrived, Jason was unresponsive and they made attempts to resuscitate him. According to the EMTs, Kelly was disruptive to their efforts and they eventually declared him dead, ruling it an overdose. Because she had said... He spent his last time fighting off the EMTs. (laughs) No, he was already... Oh, he was dead, but the... Kelly was was disruptive. Yeah, yeah. Okay. However, during the autopsy, it was determined that he had not only overdosed on heroin, but he had also been asphyxiated. Police in both Michigan and Indiana, uh, so Michigan was where Chris disappeared and Indiana was where Jason died. They began talking to each other and discussing the circumstances of each case. They believed the best way to solve Chris's murder was to get Kelly to admit to murdering her husband. So they thought, if we can get her to say she killed her husband, Jason, we'll also get her to talk about Chris's murder. Okay. Yeah. Whammy. Yep. Over the months, Michigan police were able to find evidence that Kelly was in the same parking lot where Chris's car was found. They also found some satellite images on her computer that would have been an optimal place to dispose of a body. So apparently in this area, there was a lot of mining activity and tunnels and things like that that would collapse and then fill in with water. And so there were like little ponds and lakes and things like that. And that's where they put the burn barrel. And they thought, it's this is a there's this little pond here and there's satellite images of it. Maybe that's where they disposed of the body and it would be hard for us to find it in that spot. But they thought that that's maybe what, you know, have happened. That place was actually the location, though, that they had dumped the burn barrel, which was located, but they still hadn't found Chris's body. So they found the burn barrel, but they didn't find Chris. Indiana police burnt up, right? He was burned. Yes. So his, and he was, he was put in a different location. So they got rid of the barrel in the mining area and they took his um, remains to the woods. Um, Indiana police took an interesting tactic in utilizing one of Jason's friends to try and trap Kelly. I love this part of the story. I think it's great. So the friend told Kelly, this was all the instructions by the police because they were trying to get um, her to confess. They got one of his friends 
And the friend told Kelly that prior to Jason's death, he had given, Jason had given his friend a sealed envelope containing a letter. The friend told Kelly that Jason had told her in the event of his death, he needed to send the letter to the Michigan Police Department where Chris died. Mm. But the police wrote the letter and had the friend help them with the whole thing. So the friend was in on this whole sting operation, called Kelly, told her all this stuff. Kelly begged the friend not to send the letter and asked him to get rid of it. Detectives felt like they finally had something to work with in getting Kelly to admit to the murders. About two months after Jason's death, Kelly quickly left town, not even telling her family she was leaving. Based on the autopsies, charges were brought against Kelly for Jason's murder, but Kelly was on the run, so she took off. She <laughs> proceeded to stay in contact by texting law enforcement. And she was telling them that she was hiding on the West Coast, that she was living on the West Coast and everything. Uh, what? She, yeah, she was like, oh, it's so nice here on the West Coast or whatever, saying that that's where she was living. But they tracked her through her phone to Kentucky, where she was hiding. And she was arrested for Jason's murder. Oh, my yeah. God. Once arrested for her husband's murder, Kelly was also provided, she um, basically confessed to Chris's stuff, and she provided the location of Chris's remains, as well as where the murder weapon was located. Police only found the skull, which contained a bullet hole consistent with a twenty-two caliber firearm. Her claims were that she killed Jason on purpose overdosing him on heroin and then covering his nose and mouth his nose and mouth to asphyxiate him she said it was revenge for jason having killed chris because she said chris was the only good thing she had in her life she was sentenced to 65 years in prison for each murder since her conviction, she has been discussing other deaths that she was involved in. So she claims that she participated in nine other murders, which would make her, by definition, a serial killer. Yeah, definitely. But I wasn't able to find anything that said, like, what other cases, what other missing persons or murders or anything that they had linked to her. But maybe they're working on it. I don't know. But I wasn't able to find anything in the sources that I looked at that said, oh, and she participated in this death and that death. And she's claiming nine victims, but or nine other victims. Jeez. That's fucked up. Yeah. Not a nice lady. No, not at all. So. All right, tell me about these CIA animals. Okay, we'll start off with the acoustic kitty. Acoustic kitty? Mid- yeah. Oh my, okay. 
In the early to mid-60s, the CIA's Directorate of Science and Technology had an interesting idea for spying on officials located in the Kremlin. Their idea was to take a cat and embed it with high-tech, for the time, listening devices. Their feline agent underwent an hour-long surgery of placing a microphone into the cat's ear. A small (laughs) radio transmitter was planted at the base of its skull, and a wire was woven into the cat's fur to allow the transmitter to relay audio to the CIA. (laughs) Oh my god. That's hilarious. Victor Marchetti, a former CIA officer, said the project Acoustic Kitty cost around $20 million. (gasps) That's a lot of money. A lot of fucking money. Acoustic Kitty's first mission took place outside the Soviet embassy in Washington, D.C. The cat was to eavesdrop on two men sitting outside on a bench. The cat was released nearby, but was hit and allegedly killed by a taxi (gasps) almost immediately. However, this was disputed in 2013 by Robert Wallace, a former director of the Office of Technical Service. So, yeah. Oh, my. Oh. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, geez. That is. Oh. Either way, poor kitty. It's like cartoon. It's like a cartoon event. (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. He claimed that it was too difficult to train the cats and their determination to find their next snack often led them off mission. So the project was canceled in 1967. It's hard to train cats. (laughs) Right. I think a dog would have been a better choice. Yeah. Because you can, I, in my experience, you can train dogs easier than you can train cats. I mean, I can't get my cats to do anything, but the dogs will, you know, occasionally sit and lay down and stay. So we'll, they definitely did some uh, experiments with dogs. So we'll get into that. Oh, great. Of course but they did. In the meantime, also around this time, they came out with something called the insectothopter. <laughs> what? What the yeah. hell kind of name is that? So in the 70s, the CIA's research and development office developed another strange listening device. The insectothopter was the size of a dragonfly and looked like one too. It had the uh, it had a microphone the size of a bead for the head. And okay. the, the dragon, the the dragonfly was made by a watchmaker who helped the CIA make it because it's oh. such a small thing to be able to. Yeah. So that the watchmaker yeah. had the right tools and the expertise to build something that small. So it was powered by a miniature fluidic oscillator to propel the wings up and down at the proper rate to provide both lift and thrust. Small amount of propellant produced gas to drive the oscillator and extra it like so it was gas powered and it, that gas propelled the thing forward. Okay. So kind of like a drone, but insect shaped. Yeah, exactly. It shaped it looked exactly like a dragonfly. It was hand painted. It was the size of a dragonfly. It was 
Yeah. So this project was canned when they discovered that the drone couldn't handle crosswinds. It was too light. And the wind was blowing around. So they canceled it. What money did they spend on this insect? I couldn't find that information out. Before they went, ah, oh, shit, this doesn't work. Yeah, they they were flying it around inside. They're like, this is great. And then as soon as they took it outside, they're like, oh, shit, that doesn't work. Probably. <laughs> yeah. This wasn't their last attempt with bugs, though, because they actually developed a cyborg beetle. I don't like beetles anyway, and I don't like cyborgs. I'm not going to like both together. So in 2006, a scientist at DARPA, which like it's like a third party company that builds technology and stuff for the military. Okay. They uh, so they took a beetle and they located the part of its brain that controls movement. They wired a small microchip into that part of the brain and developed software to allow someone to fully control the beetle's movements. What? How big is this friggin' beetle? Uh, it's not. I don't think it's any that we have here. It looked like it was a. It have a, to a be a big beetle. Flower beetle. It have to be. It huge. has giant in the name of the beetle. I believe. Okay. So okay, it's a fairly big beetle. The beetle was equipped with a small backpack esque bundle of technology, including a microphone, an antenna, a gas detector. Because part of their plan was to use these beetles to go into like caves and stuff and to monitor if there's explosives in there. So they put a little gas detector on there to make sure there were no explosives or anything like that. And a, a microchip to let them control it. The researchers were able to fully take control of the beetle, making it fly up in the air on command. And like they could make it fly up, stand still, and then like zigzag back and forth and like dance and do different things. They were a live beetle and it just like they were able to just hijack it. Okay. So a question. Why not just make a beetle looking thing? Like they made they made a dragonfly looking thing. Why did they have to how do you not kill a beetle by doing all of that to it? Okay, never mind. I, I, don't, it, I don't know. They're just like, I'm not the scientist, but I'm assuming. Right. Because our brain uses electrical impulses for, like, control and stuff. So right. So they probably just inserted their own electrical pulses to the spot so that would contain right. locomotion. So they're they could, jacking like, this beetle up. Yeah. Okay. So they were able to do that, like make it fly around. And then with the press of another button, it just like dropped to the floor and scurried around like a normal beetle. And then they could just stop it, control it and make it walk where they wanted to. (laughs) Gross. Gross. Next time you think a bug is following you, maybe it's a CIA drone. It might be. Yeah. Because this was back in like 2013 that they developed it. So they probably have way better Spy bugs. (laughs) Spy bugs. So my final story is the robo dog. Okay. Yeah. So in 1965, 
the CIA was practicing controlling the mind of several different vertebrates, one of which the being most one of which being the most successful were dogs. They also did it with um they did this exact thing that I'm about to tell you with snakes because they thought that oh if we can control the snake we can make it bite someone and kill them with the poison. Okay. But it didn't it didn't work nearly as well as the dogs did. And the dogs okay. really didn't really work that well anyways as we'll find mm. out. So the specific aim of the research program was to examine the possibility of controlling the behavior of a dog in an open field by means of remotely triggering electrical stimulation of the brain. And that was a direct quote, direct quote from a CIA document that was declassified. They started with a helmet that would stimulate parts of the dog's brain, but however, like, it, it was pretty useless because it was outside. It was like a little yeah. thing with electrodes outside of the head. So it's the next nice step they was started to, there. Yeah, yeah. To <laughs> but see if that would work versus surgically implant the leads into the dog's brain. Run a wire to mm. the shoulder blades where a harness sat with a battery pack and a stimulator. So they had a remote okay. control that would connect to this, but. Everything worked great, but the dog only had a like 100 to 200 foot range, but they could make it walk, move forward, stop, stop, drop and roll, handshake, whatever. They could like fully control it like you're playing a video game. It was pretty wow. weird. Yeah. Oh, I don't like it. I. There's some other parts of that, but I'm not going to talk about it because they're gross. Thank you. Yeah. Oh. Do you know what kind of dog it was? No, they didn't. Was it like they a did specific a couple breed? different breeds. No. Okay. They tried right. it with if a If any like of them are St. Bernard's, don't tell me. There's only nine dogs. They only tried okay. it with nine dogs. Okay. I don't think I want to know the breeds of dogs, so please don't tell me. I don't know the breeds of dogs anyways, but... Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, that's just some of the things that CIA has done with animals. Wow. Most of which are pretty cruel. Uh, the Acoustic yes. Kitty one didn't seem that bad, but... Unless it got ran over. <laughs> See, I was thinking with the Acoustic Kitty that you were going to say that they, like, took the cat to the Kremlin and they were actually in Russia with this cat. And I was trying to figure out how they like, did they alter the cat in Russia and how'd they get away with that? Or did they alter the cat in the U S and then take the cat to Russia? Cause who takes a cat to Russia? <laughs> no, it was, you know, it was at the Soviet embassy in America, but that makes more yeah. sense. I just took it too I mean far. I think with more research and development, they could probably have figured out how to train him. I mean, I follow a an Instagram account where cats play drums. It's like this lady who has a, you know, like people can train their dogs to like do flips and like fancy yeah. tricks and stuff. So yeah. this lady did it with cats and she just built like miniature, uh, like a band set. So one of them's like, playing keyboard one of them's playing the drums and it's like <laughs> they're not great at it but it sounds better than like a little kid doing it <laughs> oh that's awesome 
yeah, that's awesome. I like that. So I think they could have, if they hired the right cat trainer, they could probably make it do. Yeah, all they just all they true. needed was a laser pointer. You just shine a laser on the ground and make it go stand by. Good point. Yeah, and maybe don't put the cat near traffic. <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, <laughs> oh, poor kitty. Either way, poor kitty. Well, do you have a chaser for us? Oh, I asked first. What chaser do you have? My chaser is this guy. He is a scuba diver, and he likes to go scuba dive in lakes to kind of keep from getting rusty, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think he's in Lake Superior, but there's this bass that has befriended him and will follow him around every time he's in the water. And he named him Elvis. The bass, like Elvis, just literally hangs out with him the whole time, just swims next to him, and then another fish approaches him. Elvis will chase him off. It's it's really funny. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So he he started going there more after he noticed Elvis, and now every time he gets in, Elvis hangs out with him the entire time he's diving. That's cool. Next to him, it's fucking funny. So that makes me wonder how Elvis knows when he's getting in the water. Well, I think fish can detect movement in the water. like Right, but the lake is a probably... big lake. So is he always getting in at the same spot and, and Elvis just hangs out like in that cove? I'd imagine. I'd... Interesting thought. I don't know. That's fish. hilarious. These might be the smartest fish in the world. Could be. Very possible. What is your chaser? My chaser is a movie watch recommendation, and that is Extraction 2. If you haven't seen Extraction 1, go watch it. But Extraction 2 recently came out, and we we just watched it. And, I mean... It's Chris Hemsworth. So, I mean, just watch it for Chris Hemsworth, ladies. I mean, and anybody who likes Chris Hemsworth, just go watch it. It's fantastic. But what I like about those movies is that it is a true action movie where it's just like a constant hour and a half, two hours of action with like a half hour of downtime yeah, I, in like ten minute spurts where you're just like, really, they're still fighting. Oh God, okay, now there's this and there's that, and it's a really good movie. A- Extraction Two was good. Um, we started Extraction Two. We'd watched the first one a couple of years ago, um, or a year ago, whenever it came out. We watched it, um, and we went back and watched it again because we had forgotten some of it. And when we started the second one, we were like wait, who is that character? And so we went back and watched the first one so that we could get caught up. And it was it was definitely worth watching again. I really liked both of the movies. So that's my... I, I watched it, or 
I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched like half of Extraction 2 and you're right. It's I I kept looking up down at my phone. I look up and he's just fighting someone else and like I'd watch yeah. it for a couple minutes and it's like there's not one scene where he's not punching or shooting or throwing something at someone. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking it's, crazy. It's almost <laughs> it is like I mean normally action movies are like a half an hour of downtime and then five minutes of action and then another half hour and then five minutes. This is like from beginning to end a fight scene in a different location. They take downtime for five minutes to move locations to have another fight scene. So if you like action movies, I think it's really good that both of and those the movies fight are scenes constant are like well recorded. Like I think they... so too. The way they filmed it, it was pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, have you gotten to the riot scene or whatever? Oh, we finished both of them. Oh, yeah. The riot yeah. scene where he's at, like, the prisoner, whatever he's at. Yes. Uh, that, yeah, that they did a really, really cool. good job with that. Yeah, that that one where it's inside and then outside and it doesn't make you... Sometimes those action movies where there's a big fight scene like that will kind of make you dizzy and sick to your stomach because the camera is bouncing around so much, but that mm -hmm. one was really good. I liked it. Yeah. They choreographed it well. And like the riot team specifically did a good job of making it look like every, everyone was fighting everyone and he just happened to be there. So like, yeah, he'd be fighting someone and then some random guy would come and fucking fight him. And yeah. Then he'd, yeah. <laughs> and then he'd punch that guy. And yeah. yeah, yeah, that was a good one. Um, but again, it's Chris Hemsworth, so it's worth watching it just to watch him. <laughs> Alrighty, well, I think that just about wraps us up. It does wrap us up. Killing cheater story. Yeah, and I'm sorry that those poor animals had to get, you know. It's kind of crazy, though, that they can actually control the movement of someone like there's yeah they developed that in the 60s so right what can they do now they could probably fully control <gasps> a human maybe they do <gasps> i wouldn't be surprised joe biden's a a robot man <laughs> maybe. <laughs> he keeps disconnecting from the controller that's why he falls down <laughs> oh maybe oh jeez. All right. Well, Love it was good you, talking to you. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Hey, friends. Thank you for supporting our podcast. Please share our show with your brutal and bizarre friends. Give us a boozy follow on your favorite podcast platform. If you're feeling extra generous, we'd appreciate a five-star rating or review as well. But maybe do that sober so all the letters are in the right place. You can find all our contact information in the show notes. We love hearing from you, and if you're interested in helping us stock the bar for our future boozy episodes, you can find our Patreon link in the show notes as well.